podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Welcome to Run With It, the show that brings you untapped business ideas from successful entrepreneurs. My name is Chris Justin, and I'm here with Ethan Janney. Ethan, how's it going? It's going well, man. I got a hole in my sweater, and I'm proud of it. I would love to talk about the hole in your sweater, but I'm much more excited <laughs> to talk about the concept of today's podcast. It's been, what, 78 episodes, maybe 79? I think this will be the 79th episode, and it's taken us that long to get to flying cars. There's a time and a place for everything, Chris. I think that the right time and the right place would be <laughs> <laughs> the right time and the right place to be now. We're going to talk with our guest today, Daniel H. Gallancy. He's the CEO of Atacama, a NYC-based software company, and uses his deep experience with blockchain tech to help companies manage security. And yeah, Daniel's here to talk to us about starting a flying car company. Why do you think this idea rose to the top for you for the episode today, Daniel? This is an idea that I've had in my head since I was a child, and maybe I can blame the Jetsons for it. You know, these ideas that you have in your your head from when you're a kid, most people sort of say to themselves when they hit adulthood, of course, that's completely unrealistic. That would never happen. Nobody would ever do that. But then having become an entrepreneur myself, I've begun to say to myself, anything is possible. And things that, that I had thought in the past were totally absurd. I've watched other entrepreneurs successfully do. You know what? I'm going to cut in real quick, just go off the topic just for one second. Can you think of an example of something that another entrepreneur did that makes you up-level your sense of what's possible? The the first thing that popped into my head, as strange as it may sound, spent a lot of time in in the Bitcoin world. And when I first started to see successful Bitcoin exchanges pop up, I said to myself, this is impossible. How, how, can this, how can this be? These things are going to get shut down left, right, and center. They're going to get hacked. This bad thing is going to happen. That bad thing is going to happen. It'll never work. It worked. Now, it didn't work for all of them, but you have giant ones like Coinbase, and it's worked incredibly well. That's true for many of the biggest businesses today, right? If you think about Amazon, when uh, they got started, people would laugh them out of the room saying people are going to even put their credit card online at that time, much less buy toilet paper, (laughs) all the things that we get today. So yeah, that's a certainly a common theme. I think that it would be instructive to get into it with a flying car example, because we've heard that a lot, that what's obvious in hindsight always feels crazy beforehand. Yeah, I think that A good transition there is just into like, how do these things happen? People just start talking about the details, right? So that's what we're doing here, right? And in a little bit of research that I found, what are flying cars going for these days? Because there are prototypes of what a flying car would be. There actually have been some since way back in the 50s when Henry Ford thought he could make a flying car for people. But for half a million dollars or a little bit a little bit above that, you can get yourself a nice idea of what a flying car could be. We'll put it that way. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting to just start putting these numbers in place, right? Start thinking about, well, it 
must not take half a million dollars to build it. Or maybe maybe it takes more than that now. And people are just sort of raising funds and trying to build a company and put the products out there until they lower the price. I did look at a, on a website for flying cars or let's see what they were talking about a limited edition uh, vehicle called Pioneer. Uh, which was selling for five hundred and ninety nine thousand dollars, but they were they were looking to create another model that they're going to sell for three hundred and ninety nine thousand dollars. So I think just by the process of deduction, we could figure it to create a flying car these days. It's you can probably create one for what two hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand dollars maximum. Like it doesn't have to be that expensive. Do, do we agree? Do we think that would be unrealistic to think we could build something for that much? I think before even getting there, what I what I'd say, what struck me in looking at this is is that it's happening now, which you know you're talking about people are selling it, one and then two, it's going to become mass market adopted within ten years. There's a very high likelihood that that happens. That's not that's not a loon shot. Everyone always references the Peter Thiel quote: "They promised us flying cars, and instead we got 140 characters." We're actually not that far away from having flying cars. And yeah, the price is almost 600K now for that example that you shared, but it's coming down. It's going to get down even lower. Yeah, there's a vehicle called the Jetson or the company's at least called the Jetson, Jetson Aero. And it's a little bit more similar to kind of what a drone looks like. It's kind of this quadcopter kind of a deal. And it, it isn't, I think part of the issue here is that we've got this idea of a flying car and that people are trying to limit it to it's got to drive on the road and it's got to levitate in some way or fly through the air. I don't know that that's necessary to try to fulfill those two criteria, but that vehicle actually is uh, selling for $59,000. I think what you're saying is a more realistic way of looking at the situation. One of the things that you've pointed out is that when people think of flying cars, they think of a traditional flying car. They think of a car, a sedan, right? Maybe the doors become wings, something, something very straightforward like that. But to your point, it doesn't need to follow all of those rules. We could start with something as goofy sounding as a flying golf cart or a flying Vespa. It, it, should, it probably makes much more sense for it to be a quadcopter. How do we achieve our goal, which in my mind is mobility on land, terrestrial mobility and mobility in air, flight-based mobility in the same vehicle? If that's our goal, what if we just make that our goal and we eliminate all the other nonsense around it? That's interesting. I did not encounter many examples that could do both. I was very much locked into the, this is going to be an air only transport system. There are plenty of examples out there of this existing. I think it, it would be good to just give a little bit of the lay of the land right now for the listener. So these quadcopters, the reason that this is an opportunity right now and it's becoming more prevalent, there are a number of technological factors uh, that are coming together that are making this possible. So one would be energy storage cost is way lower right now. So battery cost has become has dropped. And the reason that that's important is for a combustion engine uh, helicopter, it's very heavy. There are a lot of moving parts. It's very expensive. It takes a lot of maintenance to keep them in the air. I came across a stat that Helicopters are only in place for 300 to 600 hours per year. And Uber has said that before they sold off their Elevate business, which we can get to, that for the economics to make sense for them, they need these vehicles in the air for 2,000 hours per year. 
way higher. And you can't do that with a mechanical or a combustion engine type vehicle. It just you need way more maintenance. The other thing that is coming together at the same time is autonomous vehicles are becoming more prevalent. The technology needed, computing power and vision, et cetera, to be able to fly autonomously is, uh, you know, we're on the verge of that. Tesla is doing that on roads. It's easier to do that in the air because there's a lot less traffic. You don't have balls uh, bouncing in front of your car. You don't have to deal with all the factors of road travel. So that is also happening at the same time. And I'd say that those are the two biggest ones that are leading to this potential right now. Yeah, that I think that's the thing. It's like, do you? I don't have to have a. I don't have to have a helicopter pilot's license to to run this thing around. What I'm noticing as a big obstacle here, like we said, maybe being solved, is just getting it in the hands of the consumer and feeling comfortable that they're not going to kill themselves. You know. Yeah, the safety factor is certainly there. That's um, yeah. So now that we've kind of taken that full aside, which you know you've been thinking about this for a long time, Dan. It's good to get everyone at least close to close to where you are in thinking about this. This is a big project. <laughs> you've created you know multiple businesses and you've worked on multiple projects over the years. This seems you know to me at least is way too big to chew off for some some individual entrepreneur, certainly for an individual, but even as a first like as a first time entrepreneur, second time, third time, I don't know. I don't know that I would take that on. I mean, you just, it, it's, it seems crazy. Well, let's talk about a couple of ways to narrow it because I think many people have this image in their, in their head of, you know, quite literally a flying car that can go a great distance that will stay, you know, that is usable for hundreds of hours per year meant to stay. It's meant to be constantly on the road, the way people use their sedans in you know many major U S cities and suburbs. And, I'm not sure that's the use case that you necessarily want to address first. And if we narrow the use cases a little bit, we may end up with a situation where we have a beachhead, an entry point. So I'm from New York City, and you know one of the one of the major issues we have in New York City is mass transit, transportation, getting people from you know, this. Of course, before COVID, things have changed materially now. But let's imagine a world that that, that is somewhat similar to what we had in the past. Where you have people who live, you know, not at the city center, right? Not in the borough of Manhattan, which is sort of the center of, of New York City, but rather 10, 15, 20 miles out. And at 20 miles, if you can do 60 miles an hour without traffic, it takes you 20 minutes. It's not going to take, it doesn't take 20 minutes to commute in 20 miles away if you live 20 miles from, from Columbus Circle, right? That's not the way it works. It'll take you an hour and change. Yeah, the average traffic speed in downtown Manhattan, I believe, is like seven miles an hour or something like that. Yep, and there are some streets that are notoriously <laughs> terrible. You know, Thirty Fourth Street is—I I don't don't remember the number off the top of my head, but I think it was clocked as the slowest street in New York City at one point. It was some abysmal low single-digit number of miles per hour. Right. So let's talk about the, the use case here. And I don't live in the suburbs, but let's pretend for a moment that I do. I have a house in the suburbs. And I want to get to the center of the city in a reasonable amount of time. And I want to do this efficiently at a, you know, at a fairly low cost. How much time do I really need to be on the road? And how much time do I really need to be in the air? And if we look at that and we sort of limit the size of the vehicle, what we need in the way of battery power, and, and how we can limit the scope of the whole idea. Right. So if I'm in the suburbs 
and it's a and it's a quadcopter sort of vehicle, I can probably take off from my backyard. So I'm in the air immediately. And if I'm only going to travel about 20 miles, right, there's no way that I'm going to be able to land this thing in the middle of Manhattan. That's not going to happen. But there are heliports uh, on the East River and on the Hudson River. And if I can land my quadcopter at one of these heliports and then end up on a Vespa-like vehicle, I've achieved my goal, right? I've cut my commute down materially. And if there's a street with traffic, I may be able to kind of weave in and out of it on my on what is essentially, you know, like a, a bike. I st- so I agree with you. That is way narrower. It's still a massive problem to to take on. Let's talk about like the practicality of you know, making money and, and pursuing a project like this, right? So I'm imagining an, an engineer that maybe even created a quadcopter as part of their, some engineering project at MIT or something, right? This would be much more manageable thing for them to do. But even at the same time, they would have to kind of start from nothing with it. So I think one question that's interesting, I'm just curious how we would approach it, is it that you would, you would actually try to do something that would make money from this from the get-go, uh, would you sort of dedicate your all 24-7 to it because that's what it would require to get a project like this off the ground, pardon the pun, but also, <laughs> you know, like, is, is it about raising investment? Any thoughts about how we financially get started to actually start pursuing this project? How much focus and attention does this the actual flying car part of it take? I'm glad you asked this because I actually think that you've hit on the most on what I view as the most difficult part of the project. I can conceive of a dozen different designs for the flying car, ranging from pretty low end and and janky and low cost to super high end. No matter what I pick, it will require a significant amount of upfront R&D and a significant amount of upfront investment and also significant amounts of regulatory work and all this other stuff. And that actually is something that I think turns investors off. As an entrepreneur, one of the things you really want to do to the greatest degree possible is validate your idea as quickly as possible and show that you can get traction as quickly as possible. And that's what, what in a sense, de-risks your investors. And with a project like this, you're not going to have that. You're going to have to find investors who are willing to you know, take a meaningful risk upfront. It's a very you know, particular class of, of investor. And I think actually that is the most difficult part is that you have this two, three, four, five, six, some number of years of upfront work before you're going to sell a single unit. I would take a different approach. I I agree with that completely. And and for that reason, I would not directly take on trying to create a quadcopter. There are dozens of companies, probably even hundreds of companies who have tried to do this. Several of them have failed, have gone out of business. I mentioned that Uber... They started it in 2016, I believe, their Elevate division. They just sold it in um, December 2020 to Joby Aviation. And the deals of the the terms of the deal are a little fuzzy, but uh, it came across to me like it wasn't a, it wasn't like Uber recouped a whole lot of money from that. They actually had to invest 75 million into Joby Aviation as part of the deal. And there are people like Hyundai competing with this, Boeing, Airbus. There are these super well-financed organizations who are looking to solve this problem. They're going to all compete against each other. I would take the um, sell the shovel to the gold diggers approach. What are some ways in which you can support the infrastructure 
this thing that is going to happen. I don't know which horse is going to win. I don't want to get into that horse race, but I can uh, take advantage of the fact that that trend is going to happen. And it, it's probably something um, banal, right? Like one thing that came to mind for me is creating a system, a, a systematized approach for landing pads, even just like the color scheme or the marking, just something super uh, super basic. That's a universal. These are what landing pads look like. It's very easy to recognize from any sort of low, whatever low grade camera that you're going to have on a drone or on this vehicle. Stuff like that comes to mind as much more approachable, much higher likelihood of succeeding. You could always expand into creating the quadcopters, but man, I I would go with the how do I help support the industry approach. I think in terms of getting getting a business off the ground faster, I think that what you're describing makes a lot of sense. My concern about the components business is that if you look at other industries, you end up in situations where those sort of components businesses start out in pretty good shape, but then they they start to de- the margins start to degrade fairly quickly unless uh, you have something that's really special sauce. And the reason is, you know, you have the you have a company like Boeing, for example, buying from you, and Boeing has a lot of market power. And what they're going to do is say, I need this component made. Great job, Dan. Glad you've made this. I'll buy it from you for two years. In the back, you know, in the background, what they're doing is they're trying to find a way to get this made someplace else from somebody else at a lower cost and basically compete, you know, compete me against that person, right, against that company. Uh, degrade the margins, then you end up with these sort of crummier returns on capital. I think that what you're describing makes a lot of sense. If you have something where there's special sauce, where you can put some IP around it and, and, and make it such that you, you know, you're really the tastiest drink at the bar, then nobody, nobody wants anything else. But I think in the absence of that, I would rather be further up the food chain. I want to share a quick example of exactly what you're talking about there. Tesla, when they created their autopilot software, they originally outsourced that to Mobileye, which is an Israeli-based company. And they did exactly what you said, where they worked with them for a few years, maybe even several years. And then uh, Tesla developed their autonomous driving technology in-house and got rid of Mobileye as a partner. So definitely happens. I wish I knew the name of this this fellow. There's an interesting story of a guy who he wanted to completely change his industry. And he was able not only to, to change his industry, having no expertise in uh, this new field, but also kind of rise to the top of it within a year or two. And what the fellow did is he... He started hosting networking events, I think through like Eventbrite or Meetup or whatever in that industry. And he was just the host. You know, he would just get together interesting experts and people who wanted to learn things and so on and so forth. And within a matter of a year or so, he started to be seen as an expert himself just because he had been hosting these things. And he had become an expert himself because he had been gathering information from folks um, along the way by interacting with them. And so this I could see as an interesting way to both educate yourself about this industry, meet all the key players, and start imagining who you want on your team and how you're going to plan your own company. Just host flying car conventions, right? And there's a lot of ambition and money that people are looking to make in this. So, you know, you could probably make some okay money hosting those type of events. 
I think that's actually a very good idea. It's especially powerful for entrepreneurs who are particularly charismatic. So I, I know folks who have done that in other industries, in the Bitcoin industry in particular. I know of a handful of folks who really, because they are so tremendously charismatic, they've been able to do precisely that. And that's exactly how they got a, a great footing. So for, I think for the right personality, that's a terrific move and, and a good way to sort of get things off the ground and learn as much as you can about the industry in a, a reasonably compressed amount of time. Question we often like to try to cover is who's your first customer? So I see that Larry Page has, you know, got his own small collection of flying cars and even invested in some of these businesses. Is this the type of thing where that's who we're aiming for? Is, you know, someone who has most of the share of most of the wealth in the world? <laughs> these are people we have to talk to first when we're trying to sell the product. I think so. And I, I, I don't even necessarily think that's bad. I think that having something be an aspirational purchase almost makes it more attractive at times. If it's just so aspirational that it's not completely out of reach, but would require a lot of savings, then people start getting more excited about it. And they say, well, it's too expensive right now, but wait five years, wait seven years, you know, some amount of time, and it won't be so expensive. So I think you do want to sell initially to you know, those who have you know, significant amount of assets or significant amount of income. Uh, and that's a very reasonable place to start. Another approach there is to not necessarily sell direct to consumer, but create a shuttle service, let's say. So if you're going from JFK to Midtown Manhattan, that is not easy to do <laughs> any way you slice it uh, via subway or car and takes a long time. VTOL, which is, uh, we didn't actually mention that acronym, vertical takeoff and landing vehicles, sometimes also called quadcopters. They're projected to cost $60 to get from JFK to Midtown Manhattan if you achieve battery density and the scale and the uptime, everything that we're talking about. So again, within 10 years, this is going to be happening. There are a lot of ways that you can probably take advantage and um, help accelerate this transition. Hopefully, this gave you, the listeners, some ideas for how to take that on. We are coming up on time, Dan. Where can people go to learn more about you? So I run a business right now called Atacama, and we make some really interesting encryption software for data at rest. So for files, for example, um, you can go to atacama.com, which is A-T-A-K-A-M-A.com. The really cool thing that we do, or one of the really cool things that we do, is we enable you to encrypt your data without the use of passwords or codes or something that you're going to potentially forget or lose which is something that really it really is not commonplace nowadays. We also enable you to share that data very seamlessly with other people securely in ways that are not otherwise achievable. You can search through your data while it's encrypted without decrypting it. So you know, we're a cryptography company uh, and we make some pretty cool software and you can learn more about it by visiting our website and you know, drop us a line if you have questions. We'd love to hear from you. I didn't want to stop, Chris. I wanted to talk more about how we're going to start this thing. I know. We all do. I mean, it's so much fun. <laughs> we to talk about. Listen, I'm glad to talk more about it. I, listen, I, 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 will, I have been obsessed with this idea since I was a child, and my obsession with the idea isn't going away. So even having a few minutes to chat about it is a fun time for me. One other thing that I'll add is Ethan put this video in our notes, and we'll put it in the show notes so you can check it out. There's... um. 
personal uh, VTOL or quadcopters, they're basically giant drones that an individual can sit in and, and steer. And it's pretty cool to watch. I mean, you're not going to go super far. You're not going to go from the airport to uh, <laughs> to Midtown Manhattan, but they look like a ton of fun. So if you have an opportunity to, <laughs> to check that out, or uh, we all may be riding in one of those at some point. I mean, this episode got me pumped just, uh, just doing that kind of research. Well, luckily, I can leave all the engineering and tech work to you two, and I'll be the charismatic guy, and I'll put the conference together. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. It sounds like a team. Every company needs that guy. <laughs> We'd have some dad jokes to hold it all together. Be that glue. All right, Daniel, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you. The podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.